Well, we're looking at the tribulation, and we're looking at the details of the tribulation. And let me remind you that one of the key things is there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. We're going to talk more about that. But the key is to understand that the tribulation deals not with the church, because that's one of the issues. People say things like, uh, is there a... a, a Put this next slide up real quick just for a second. Here is this end-time events and all of this. And one of the issues is there are a lot of people who say they're worried. They're wondering, does the church, do the believers, do we go through this time period? The answer, of course, is no. We've talked about it, but I'm going to show you. When we finish this lesson, I'm going to show you next week and the week after that, or the next two lessons, from the Scripture, why we know that we're not part of this. And that should help us. Uh, the tribulation deals with the nation of Israel. Okay, go back to the first slide. There we go. Remember, here's the events. Uh, we're here and could happen any second. Now, I'm going to go through this quickly. By the way, I lost, I don't know what I did with my, my pointer thing. I, I, think, I think when I went home last week, I think I left it in my other suit coat, and that's where it is. But I, I got here this morning, I went, oh, my goodness. So you just have to imagine where the pointer is. But anyway, the, the, the next event, and it could happen when? Any second. Now, if the second coming and the rapture are the same event, which some people say it is, then what has to happen before Jesus comes in the clouds and takes us out and brings us back? What has to happen? has to happen the whole tribulation, doesn't it? Well, if, 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 the, rap, if, if the rapture can happen at any second then we'd have to say, no, it can't happen at any second. You have to go through all the events of the tribulation. So rapture could happen at any second. And First Thessalonians 4 talks about it. Philippians 3 talks about it. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Philippians 3.20, where we wait for Him to come and change us. First Thessalonians 4, the dead in Christ will rise first. We who are alive and remain to be taken off the face of the earth. That takes us to the slide, and that's right there where Jesus died and rose again. We're taken off the face of the earth. Then, uh, it, uh, well, Jesus died and go to church. That's where we're taken off the face of the earth. That's number one, the rapture. Okay, here's number two. We talked about this last time. After the church is gone, we said it's going to be a mess all over the world because there are believers everywhere. And the United States, think about how many believers there are that we, we're just going to all be gone. And the world's going to be in great turmoil. And here's what we said is going to happen. We don't know how much time period between the rapture and the beginning of what we call the tribulation. Tribulation does not begin until the peace pact is made, a covenant with Israel and Antichrist. Best we can tell, the world's in turmoil. As you study the book of Revelation, you find there's a ten-king federation that forms. It could form. The ten-king federation could form before the rapture. It doesn't say anything about that. But there will be a ten-king federation. Out of the ten kings will come three. Out of the three kings will come one. That one leader is the man that we call the Antichrist. They won't call him the Antichrist. They won't even think of it that way. They'll just think of him as a world leader. He will make a peace pact with the nation of Israel, and it'll be for seven years. And uh, we'll talk more about that later. But in Daniel 9, 27, it says for one week, which is seven years. Now, at the beginning of this peace pact, in this seven-year time period, and we talked about it last week, what does Israel want more than anything else? Peace. They want peace. Because they, they've had nothing but war. When you, when you think about it, what year did Israel become a nation? 1948, there was war right then. 1952, war. 1963, war. 1973, war. Then beginning in the 80s, the infatada and the, all of the problems with the Arabs and, and, uh, and the Palestinians. And it's just been problem after problem after problem. So if you said to the Jewish people, if you were a world leader and say, I can guarantee you peace... Would they make a peace pact with him? 
They, and they are. And the best that we can understand is somehow, somewhere, the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. If you go to Jerusalem today, uh, we could go to Jerusalem and we could go to the Temple Mount. And we, we would be able to go on tours and go up to the Temple Mount. We could even go to the Dome of the Rock. The Dome of the Rock is a, is a Muslim uh, uh, shrine, basically. It's second only to Mecca. And we could go there. Now, Jewish people can't go there. And the closest they can get to the Temple Mount is the back wall, which is called the Wailing Wall, and they can get there. Now, at the start of this event, uh, let's just pretend they, they haven't built the temple. They're going to build it at the start of this peace pack. And God does something amazing. He raises up 144,000 Jewish people who believe in Jesus Christ. Remember, we're all gone, and these Jewish people trust Christ. Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, the nation of Israel begins to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Messiah, and you know it's going to happen. The nation of Israel, the ones who has rejected Jesus Christ, they will, during the tribulation, turn and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior. As a nation, as a people group. It begins right there, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. People begin to believe in Christ. Jewish people will trust in Christ. People all over the world will trust in Christ. But it's going to be a horrible, horrible time. The third thing, now let me show you the, the slide. That starts right there, number two. That's going to start the seven-year time period. It's going to be divided into two parts, but that's the seven-year tribulation. The third thing, we saw this last time, that God is going to raise up uh, for the first three and a half years two witnesses and if you're in a Revelation chapter 11, I want you to see these verses. Revelation chapter 11, look at verse 3. I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in a sackcloth. 1,260 days is three and a half years. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire flows out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So if anyone wants to harm them, they must be killed in this way. Now listen, I don't understand that, do you? You understand that? That in, in the temple area, during the first three and a half years, there will be two witnesses. Some of the things that they do, people, some people say they're Moses and Elijah. Some people say they're like Moses and Elijah. We don't really know who they are. But it actually says fire comes out. Now, I don't understand what all that is. I don't understand what that means. But they're going to be there for a certain period of time. And then notice what happens. Verse 7. When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss. Who is the beast that comes up out of the abyss? That's the Antichrist. That's the world leader. What he's going to do is he, the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with them. He'll come against them, overpower them, and he will kill them. They're going to be killed. They're going to be killed. Notice down in verse 11. But after three and a half days, they're going to stay dead in the streets of Jerusalem. For three and a half days, the breath of life from God will come into them. They stood on their feet. Great fear fell upon those who were watching them. They heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. Then they went up into heaven in the cloud, and their enemies watched them. So these two witnesses will be killed by the Antichrist. Three and a half days later, God's going to raise them from the dead, and they're going to ascend into heaven. This is all in that first three and a half years. I think the next day we go, see, as number three. That's in the first three and a half years. And they're going to prophesy all the way basically to about halfway through. They do it for the, that, uh, the, those number of months. Now, here's where it gets bad. Right in the middle of this seven-year covenant, this seven-year peace bag, the Antichrist breaks the covenant. He basically says... I have no agreement with you. Everyone must worship me. 
I am God. I will rule the world. And he's, he claims to be God, rules the world. And he goes into the temple in Jerusalem that has been rebuilt. And he puts an idol there and demands to be worshipped. I want you to see, you're in Revelation 11. Just flip over to Revelation chapter 13. Just a page over. I want you to see this. And, and the way he's describing him, this beast and, and all of that, he's, he's describing him here in Revelation 13 as having different heads. But it says this, I saw one of his heads as it had been slain. This is verse 3. Fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed following after the beast. The people say that apparently he either is killed and God lets him come back from the dead or it looks like he is killed and he comes back from the dead. And people begin to say, he must be what? He must be God. That's why when he puts his idol up in the temple and claims to be God, there's some people who follow him. Now, let me just say this. Believers, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, they will never follow the Antichrist. Never. Okay? Now watch what happens. Um, let's see. Verse, uh, here we go. Verse 4. They worship the dragon because he gave authority to the beast. That, the dragon's the devil. And they worship the beast saying, Who's like the beast? Who's to make war with him? There was given to him, now watch, there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months. How long is 42 months? Three and a half years. So if you look at the slide, here we are, right in the middle that's when he becomes, he puts his idol up, claims to be God, and for the next three and a half years, he's claiming to be God. He's claiming for everyone to worship him. Now listen to this. I don't want you to have to turn there. But in Second Thessalonians, let me read this for you. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says this. He says, let no one in way deceive you, for it will not come first until the man of lawlessness is revealed. There he is, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. That's what Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He told them about the end times. You know, some people say you shouldn't study end time events because it's too hard. When Paul went to Thessalonica, he was only there three weeks. The letter to the first and second Thessalonians says, I taught you this when I was there. So in three weeks of a brand new church, the believers in Thessalonica, he taught them the end time events. So end time events are not so hard that you can't understand them. He taught them this. So here's this Antichrist, breaks the peace back. At this time, let's see, uh, go back one slide. And, and yeah, right there, Israel's going to flee. The nation of Israel, which they're believers, you know, they're saying, wait a minute, we're running for our lives, and they're going to flee. There's a place uh, called Petra, which most of you've heard of it. Uh, it's a city in rock. It's called Selah in Isaiah 16, verse 2. It's on the King's Highway. If you go to Jordan, the country of Jordan, you may not want to go there, but if you go to the country of Jordan, and you go south on the King's Highway, Way down south, there is a big mountain range, and there's only one little way into that area. And there used to be a people group living there, and they actually carved their city out of the sides of the walls. And that's Petra. That's where Israel is going to run to. That's where they're going to run to. They're fleeing. Now, here's what happens. Number five. The Antichrist says, if you're going to be able to buy 
or sell or live on this earth, you will have to take my mark, the mark of the beast, so that you can have the buying and the selling. Revelation 13, look at verse 16. And he caused all the small and the great and the rich and the poor and the free and the slaves to to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of the beast. Let his wisdom, let him who has understanding, calculate the number of the beast for the number is that of a man and his number is what? Six, six, six. That's what we've always heard. Well, Ken, do you think people will walk around with a mark right there or a mark right there? We're not sure whether they will or not, but we know this, that even today they have the capabilities of scanning things under the skin. And so if you wanted to buy or sell something, if you don't have the mark, if you're not said, I agree with the Antichrist, you won't be able to buy or sell. Now, believers aren't going to do this. Believers are running for their lives. And let me tell you, they're going to be killing people all over. And I'm talking about killing believers all over the place. Unbelievers will take the mark of the beast. Unbelievers will follow the beast. Okay, so it's 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 a it's a terrible terrible time. Let me let me look at one other place. I just want to see if there's a verse or two we want to read. Oh, people say things like, "Will anybody really believe during the tribulation?" We've already said, "144,000 Jews." That's to begin with. The nation of Israel is going to believe all kind of people. Here in the book of Revelation, John sees all these people. And the angel tells him who it is. He said, And I looked and I saw this great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, every tribe, all people, all tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And he goes on to say, Who are these people? And he goes on to say, These are those who came out of the great tribulation. Meaning they were killed during the great tribulation. So... Many, many people will believe in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. Many of them will be killed because they don't take the mark of the beast. Okay? Now, if you have a question or comment, you just stop me. Okay? Okay? Yes? The best that I can tell, she asked a great question. The answer really is, I don't know. But the question is, what if you take the mark of the beast and then believe? The best that we can tell is when a person takes the mark of the beast, they're not going to believe. I mean, they've already rejected the Messiah, and they take the mark, and they believe that he is. Now, I suppose if, if something happened differently, um, maybe the mark of the beast would disappear, and God would do something different. Oh, who knows? But there's nothing in the Scripture that says these people who take the mark of the beast, then some of them later believe. doesn't say that. In fact, there's a place in Revelation that says when the pressure and the destruction that God begins to bring on them, instead of saying, oh, Lord, you are right, they curse him. So I, I think that once a person takes the mark of the beast, they're probably not going to, they, they won't ever believe in the Messiah. A tattoo, six, six, a tattoo with 666 on your body means absolutely nothing. I mean, like today, if somebody says, oh, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a devil worshiper and I'm going to put 666 on my body somewhere, that doesn't mean they can't trust in Christ. We're talking about during the tribulation, a special sign on people who believe that the, that the Antichrist is the Savior and they're following him. Okay, so if you know somebody that's got a tattoo on, uh, that has nothing to do with any of this. Yes? God is in control. Okay, here's, here's the thing. Let me ask you something. Has any of this happened yet? Who's already wrote down and said, this is what's going to happen? God, he's in control. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. He is allowing this 
man to come to power. Now, we're going to see that, that when we get, especially when we get, this, is, this deals with the nation of Israel. This whole tribulation time period and this beast that rises up and all of this persecution and all these things. Remember, at the start of the tribulation, who believes? The Jews do. So this, this is, let me just say this, and we, 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 uh, we won't get to it today. Well, the best we can tell, now, let me, that's a great question. Most of this beginning, first of all, all of this happens first in Israel, but this man is a world leader, not just a leader over Israel and wherever he's from. And so this message goes out everywhere. But what we find is primarily this, 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 this persecution of Jews is going to be in Israel, but the persecution of who doesn't follow the mark of the beast is going to be worldwide. And what we find toward the end, when you see someone like it, let's talk about the kings of the east come to make war and the kings of the north and the south, not every nation is following the Antichrist. They're not all saying, oh, he's the greatest thing that's ever lived. Some of them are opposed to him. Not that they're for God. They're just opposed to this leader. And the ultimate final battle, the battle of Armageddon, is many nations coming together actually to fight against the Antichrist. But when it comes together, they all end up being together to fight against the true God. So the world is a mess. If you ever read the Left Behind series, it's... It's accurate the way he describes it in the sense the world is a mess. People don't know what to do. The ones left behind, there are some people who believe in Christ and they're running for their lives as things get worse and worse and worse. The whole world is in turmoil and eventually out of all of this, this one world leader comes. And there, gonna be, there's going to be a time in which there'll be the, the, two, the two witnesses. There's going to be a time that the temple is built. There's going to be a time he puts an idol up in the temple. There's going to be a time all of this happens. Now, we won't have to be here. We don't have to worry about it. But you're right. The world's in a turmoil. And God, and we can say it this way, God allows all of this to happen, but it's also part of his plan. In the same way, let me say it this way. Think about this. Uh, any, anybody sin yesterday? Right? Okay. Did, did you sin? God didn't make you sin, right? Now, is your sin figured into God's perfect plan? It is. So even the Antichrist who is doing what he does, that's his choices, and yet it fits what God has planned. Well, the devil does rule the earth, right? Like who? Yeah, oh, yeah, who rules the earth right now? Who's the prince of the power of the air? Who's the god of this age? Satan rules this world. That's why it's such a bad world. Think, is there beauty in this world? Isn't it amazing? It's fallen. Think what the beauty is going to be when it's not fallen. Think what the beauty is going to be in this world when Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. What is this world going to be like? And then what it's going to be like when he makes a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to be beyond our comprehension. So, any, any more questions? I mean, it's, yeah, God is... God is he is allowed to do this in the same way that God allowed Satan to tempt Job and God allowed Satan to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, so all of this fits in God's plan, and yet every person who makes any decision, they're accountable for every decision. In the same way, it's true for us. You can't say, I sinned today, but that God made me do that. But God doesn't go, oh, they sinned, what am I going to do now? That's in his plan. What about the fall of Adam and Eve? Did he know they were going to fall? Did he make them fall? No. Was his plan that when they fell, what he was going to do? 
Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God slain before when? Before the foundation of the world. Meaning before he ever created anything, Jesus Christ slain. Because that's God's plan. Well... Well, let me just say this. Let me say this. The, the passage that you're talking about where the angels control the four corners of the earth, that's in the tribulation, that's toward the end, and that's toward God bringing judgment. Actually, he's going to slow things down then so some people can be saved and he's going to bring judgment. Judgments like Katrina, and let me say it, some people use judgment. I don't like the word, but the things that happen in Oklahoma. Do you th- let me say what Jesus said. Do you think the people in Moore, Oklahoma are more evil than the people in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Okay, so why did that happen to them? And see, that's what they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what about those people, those 18 people that tower fell on, and what about those people that that guy killed? And Jesus said, do you think they were more wicked than anybody else? The answer is no. And just because Katrina came into New Orleans, that had nothing to do with who's good and who's bad. God, it's a fallen world that he allows things to happen. And let me tell you, one day, there's not going to be things like that because he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. The world's cursed, right? The world's fallen. They're really not supposed to be tornadoes and hurricanes. Not in, not in a good world. But this is not a good world. And that's a possibility. There will be some people respond in that way. There will be other people respond by saying, God is a great God. I don't understand why these things happen, but I'm going to trust in Him. So sometimes tragedies bring people to Christ. Sometimes tragedies pull people away. from. And that's why what we hope is anytime there's a tragedy, we say we hope from this people will come to know Jesus Christ. That's why Donna Bowman, usually back there on that table, right? You know where she is? You know where she's been the last two Sundays? She's in more. She's got a whole bunch of Gospel of John's and she's got a whole bunch of our Bibles and she's handing them out and she's ministering to people down there. She's a chaplain. That's where she's been. Because in the midst of a tragedy, she's bringing the good news message of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to do. Now, let me tell you, the whole world's a tragedy. Every day is a tragedy. It's a fallen world. We just It's not that bad yet, but it's going to be really bad, right? But we'll be gone. Okay, anything else? Okay, let's, let's go to the next one. What, what are we, just Mark of the Beast? Is that where we are? Okay, let's move on to the final war, the campaign, the campaign we call Armageddon. Some people just call it the Battle of Armageddon. It's actually a campaign because it lasts for a period of time. We talked about that in the northern part of Israel, there's the Valley of Jezreel. There's a mountain called Megiddo. Har, Megiddo, Armageddon. Har means mountain in Hebrew, Megiddo. So the mountain of Megiddo is where this final battle will come. And, and we, we talk about it like, okay, it's just going to be this final battle. But it's, it's everybody coming together. And what actually happens is the nations come together, the 200 million people from the east, uh, in, Kings from the north come. They all come together and ultimately surround Jerusalem. Half the people in Jerusalem will die. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever looked at a map? Have you ever looked at a map of the world? And can you even hardly find Israel on the map? 
I mean, if you look at a map, it's like about this big, right? You know, and you can just barely find it. You've got Jordan over here. It's kind of big and Egypt down here. And, you know, and you've got all these countries. But then you try to find Israel and it's this little bitty thing. And then you try to find Jerusalem, which some people won't even recognize that Jerusalem is, is Israel's capital. That is the most important part of the land in the whole world. That little place right there. Why is that? That God promised that God promised His people. Now listen, just because the Jews are God's people doesn't mean they're saved. He chose them to carry out His purposes. He chose many, 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 many people to carry out His purposes. The choosing of God to use a person doesn't necessarily have anything to do with their salvation. So be real careful when you lead some of these election passages where Paul says, God chose me in my mother's womb to be saved. Is that what it says? No, it says that he might bring a light to the Gentiles. Was Judas chosen by God? Did he do miracles? He did. Did he proclaim the gospel? He did. Was he a believer? He was not. So be careful when people start saying, well, if you're chosen by God, that means you're saved. No, the nation of Israel was chosen by God, but that didn't save them as a people group. They're being saved as a people group during the tribulation when the nation is turning to God. And in this final battle, Revelation 16, let me, let me read 16, 16. They gathered them together in a place which is Hebrew called Har-Megeddon, which is Mountain of Megiddo, and that's Armageddon. Now, that's that final war. Do we have the slide? Yeah, here we are. We're right there. And here's the, here, they're all coming together. They're surrounding Jerusalem. And um, it, it's, a, it's a really bad time. Uh, we're not there. We're with Jesus. Now, I'm going to show you in some weeks to come what's happened to us while we've been taken off the earth, while all this has happened on the earth, what's been happening to us. And we'll see that in a couple of weeks, okay? But as Jesus gets ready to come back, because that's the next one, the second coming of Jesus Christ, as he is coming back, we're coming back with him. I want you to turn to Revelation 19. I want you to see this. This is all happening. This happens at the very end of the tribulation. I love reading this passage. Uh, It's one of my favorite passages to read because it's, it's, it's like you've seen something bad, you've seen something bad, you've seen something bad, and then the hero comes and straightens it all out. It's like when Matt Dillon would come and show up. You know, everything's going to be okay. Matt Dillon is there. Or when the Lone Ranger would come. Or when you hear the Calvary trumpet and they're coming and all the, everybody's going to run away because here comes the Calvary. Well, here is the worst thing in the whole world that's ever happened. And here comes Jesus. But when he comes, not everybody's going to be happy because many of those people that he's coming to hate him and do not believe in him. Now, for us, we say, I, I, don't, I just can't picture that. I mean, who could hate Jesus? Did people hate Jesus when he was on the earth? Man, I hated him. Anybody ever hated you? I mean, y'all been hated, right? I mean, if you go through life at all, somebody's not going to like you. And not only are they not going to like you, they're going to hate you. And you say, what did I do to them? I'm nothing, you know, right? You probably did something to them. But anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> they hated Jesus without a cause. And when he's coming, look what happens. Watch this. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he does what? He judges and wages war. Who is he waging war against? 
All those people who have gathered, the Antichrist, the false prophet, all of those things. Now watch. His eyes are a flame of fire and his head are many diadems. The word diadem means a crown. And this is, there's two different words for crown in the, in the Greek. One is the word stephanos, which means a reward. And one is diadem, which means a ruling position. On his head are many what? Crowns. He doesn't have one crown on his head. He has a whole bunch of crowns on his head because he's the ruler of the world. And on his head are many crowns, and he has a name written which no one knows except he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. See, it goes back to John. What? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was there. Here he is. He's the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in white linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Who is that? That's probably us. Now, some people say it's probably angels. I say, no, I don't think it's angels. I think it's us. Now, angels may be with us. They may be with us. But let me tell you, we're going back, but who's doing the fighting? Jesus is doing the fighting. We're not, we're not worried about fighting. Now, I know Derek would like to have his sniper, and he'd be ready to go, but he's not going to get the fight in this one. Jesus is coming, and look what it says. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that when he may strike the nations, he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the, he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. Now, a lot of people don't want to talk about this, but the truth is this. God will judge mankind, and, and there is wrath coming on rebellion. God is a God of grace, but he's also a God of truth. And you can't... Throw out the truth for grace, and you can't throw out grace for truth. And that's what a lot of people do. They say, oh, God's so loving. He would never send anybody to hell. There's no such thing as hell. It's not even a devil. It's just God just loves everybody, and that's wrong. And then there's some people who say, uh, if you don't live exactly perfectly right and keep every rule, you won't make it. That's wrong, too, because it has nothing to do with it. Grace and truth go together. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, exactly. This is his second coming. He's coming in power and majesty. Notice what it says. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. What is it? King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw this angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with this loud voice, saying to all the birds, Hey, get ready. It's time to eat. Who's, what are the, who are the birds going to eat? The dead bodies of all these people that are fixing to get killed. You may eat the flesh of the kings and the flesh of the commanders, the flesh of the mighty men, the flesh of the horses, and those that sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free and great and slaves and small, everything. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. Now watch. And their armies assembled to make war against who? Against Jesus, who sits on the horse, and against his army. See, ultimately, they make war against Jesus when he comes. This is the very end. Now watch what happens. Second coming of Christ. Go to the next slide, I think. There. That's him coming down, number seven. All right, let's look at eight real quickly. The beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake. The fa- I didn't tell you much about the false prophet. The beast is the man of sin who rises to power. He has a helper. He has someone like a spiritual leader that's beside him. He's called the false prophet. He wants everyone to worship the beast. It says here, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in the presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped the image. And these two were thrown alive into the what? Lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone. Listen, uh, nobody's in the lake of fire. When people say, when a person dies, they go to hell. They don't go to hell. The lake of fire is hell. That's the word we use. We, we say hell, but the Bible doesn't even use the word hell. It uses lake of fire. And nobody's in the lake of fire. The first people cast the lake of fire are the beast and the false prophet. 
Unbelievers are not cast into hell. They're cast into Hades or Sheol, and they're on the torment side. We talked about that. They will be raised from the dead to stand before God and then cast into the lake of fire. The second coming of Jesus Christ. The beast and the false prophet are cast in the lake of fire. Let me give you the next one. We'll just go real fast. Uh, that's where it is. Jesus judges the world in Matthew 25, 31, 32. He talks about he divides. He divides the believers from the unbelievers. What's going to happen to unbelievers? What's going to happen to unbelievers? They will be killed and cast into Hades or Sheol. What happens to the believers? What happens to believers on this earth when Jesus Christ comes back? They will be alive to go into the kingdom. That's exactly right. And then, number, let's uh, see, get slow, throw the. That's where we are right there, getting ready to go into the thousand year reign. And then, number 10, this is the end of the tribute. Jesus prepares to rule the world as the king of kings. Matthew 25, 31. Let me read that to you just for a second. I know time, time is up. But the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all His angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Now here's the question. We've seen all that. We've seen all the details. We've looked all through that whole thing, and we go, wow, that is terrible. Some people will look at you and say, as Christians, you will go through this. We say, no, we won't. Because we say, this is for who? This, no, this is for who? The nation of Israel. Now, unbelievers are connected with it, but this whole time period, the tribulation time period, is called... Next slide. Next slide after that. It's called Jacob's Trouble. What is Jacob's other name? Israel. This is Israel's trouble. And so for next week and the week after that, I'm going to show you from the Scripture how we realize that we are not a part of this time period. Okay? Now, let me give you the two quick applications because I know time is up. Understand the flow of the tribulation. And if you haven't got it all the way, use your little chart. We've got it there. Use the ten things, and, and, and we'll go over it. Anytime you have a question about it, we'll talk about it. And then the second thing is this. Realize the great victory of Jesus Christ at his second coming as the king. I mean, when he comes as the king of kings and lord of lords, I mean, it is going to be a whole different world. And how many of you, let me ask you this question. People always say something like this. If you were to die, would you go to... If you were to die, would you go to what? Heaven. We always say go to heaven. Where, where did the entire, from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to David, what are they looking for? Heaven? They're looking for the kingdom. What are we looking for? We say heaven, but it's the kingdom. Listen, we're going to be in heaven. If, if actually we think time period-wise, we're only going to be in heaven for seven years. Right? And we don't even know what we're going to be doing up there. Okay? We're coming down for the what? The kingdom. The kingdom. And we're going to talk about the kingdom because we've got the great king ruling the kingdom, Jesus Christ. And then there's an eternal state which is called the eternal kingdom. And we're going to talk more about that as well. So understand the great victory of the second coming. What we are looking forward to is not just going to heaven. We're looking forward to the kingdom. Now let me tell you, let me ask you this. What will you do for Jesus Christ during the kingdom and the eternal state? What will you do? What will you do? You will worship him, but you will also what? 
Serve him. Now, what's going to be the basis of your service for Jesus in the kingdom and the eternal state? How well you what? Served him now. So if you're sitting around not doing anything, guess what? You're not going to have a great position in the kingdom or for all eternity. See, most people don't talk about rewards. We're going to talk about rewards before this study is over. Because how you live now, how you serve Jesus Christ now, how your life counts for Christ now is going to have a bearing on your place of service during the kingdom and the eternal state. If you think everybody's the same in the kingdom, the answer is no, they are not. If you think everybody's the same for all eternity, the answer is no, they are not. And so we better say, hey, I'm going to get on the stick. And, and do some stuff. and Live for Christ. Let my life count for Him. I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, I just kind of wasted my whole life. 